Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin, and I am your host. And today, I am so thrilled to have Marcy Leroff here and Chantal Cousineau uh, to talk all about being an intimacy coordinator on set, SAG-AFTRA protocol, the new contract, the protections that are in place, language, uh, and... You know, I think what's the coolest about this episode is that for actors, it's such an amazing resource to understand our rights and how many advocates we now have and allies, uh, the levels to which the process has gotten so much better to support actors. And I do think that there is absolute room for improvement but uh based on what marcy and chantal share it's 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 quite incredible and and especially when we're empowered to know what our rights are and what kind of protections we have and and what allies we have at our disposal it's it's really cool so i'm so appreciative of them for sharing their experiences and the intricacies of what goes into the job the training and what happens on set and i think for non-actors what's really cool is this conversation that's happening in the entertainment industry is a mirror for greater society and the conversations that we need to have in the workplace in general and the language and the transparency that needs to happen so that all folks can feel safe and supported and like they have an outlet for um, sexual abuse, harassment, uh, and assault. And so I, I think it's really beautiful what this example is and and how it can be implemented across the board in a lot of ways. So I'm so excited for you all to share. Um, with that being said, I don't have a lot to share other than it has been a long couple of weeks, y'all. And mostly all I would love to impart to you is please, please, please get vaccinated do it. Get vaccinated. Help your fellow human out. Um, Yeah, Uh, it's getting scary again. And so please get vaccinated. So without further ado, I'm super excited to bring you this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. And here we go. Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited today. We have two amazing guests. The first one is Chantelle Cousineau, uh, who is here. We are going to talk about intimacy, coordinating, uh, but she has an incredible uh, background. She moved to Los Angeles in 2001, has carved out a successful career as an actor in 100 plus television commercials, and since 2017 is one of the premier grounded voice within the Me Too advocacy community, helping 1,400 plus survivors of sexual harassment, assault, and abuse. Uh, She is a longtime member of SAG-AFTRA, and it serves on several national safety committees to consult on ways to expand uh, the industry's best practices to move closer 
centered towards equal treatment, pay parity, representation, and improving safety standards on set. She has combined her many years of experience as a performer with her advocacy work to pivot her career as a certified film television intimacy coordinator. Thank you so much for being here. Yay. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and 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 uh, for a second guest, I'm so excited. Marcy Learoff is here, who is an amazing longtime casting director. Oh my gosh, so many credits I can't even possibly name, but so many things that we all know and love. Uh, a producer, an acting coach, a jewelry uh, creator, which is amazing jewelry designer, and also an intimacy coordinator, one of the premier intimacy coordinators in the industry. So thank you so much for both of you being here today and taking your time. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so I would love to start uh, just by talking uh, individually about your journeys to to this work of being an intimacy coordinator uh, and yeah, what drew you to it and and also sort of the inception of of this title because it is more new within the industry as far as I know. Yes, Whoever Marcy, you want to take that first? Yeah. Sure. So uh, I've, as you mentioned, I've been casting for 40 plus years and producing and coaching actors. And I've kind of been looking for my next act for a while, trying to figure out what else to do. And when I heard about this new position in uh, 2017, I just started, it just it felt so interesting to me. And it kind of felt like the amalgamation of all of my skills put together in one cup. And so I just started following the scent of that, trying to find out more more information, which led me to a woman named Amanda Blumenthal, who is really one of the original uh, intimacy coordinators in Los Angeles. And she started a training program back in 2019. And I uh, interviewed with her and I begged to be part of a very small group of, of trainees. There were about seven of us and this was only the second training that she had done. And it is just turned out to be the most interesting and fulfilling work. At the end of the day, people say thank you to me, which is very new. <laughs> and uh, I go home feeling really good. Yeah. So, I'd, uh, I'm not, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Keep going. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not sure what the rest of the question was. Yeah, I was just curious about your journey, but I am interested in what was your experience with intimacy and intimate, you know, all of the things that you've casted in these 40 years of being a part of production beforehand that sort of led you to this moment? Because I, I imagine you have seen quite a bit <laughs> and that the conversation has evolved quite a bit to this moment. At first, I want to, I just want to correct you because this Please. is the casting director's pet peeve. Uh, the past tense of cast is cast. Oh, great. Casted. Thank and you. Not, and we're not casting agents, as some people call us, we're casting directors. And I now it's that. gone. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Thank you for, so, um, for language. Our, is so important. I think uh, a lot of people, if they would describe me, they would describe me as an actor's advocate. Um, it's, uh, I really feel like it's part of my job to protect the actor in the situations of auditioning and also when they're on set and uh i like i'm i'm your ally and i'm your friend and i always make sure that people aren't take actors aren't taken advantage of because they they unfortunately are and uh i like to make sure that the actors are as educated as they can possibly be when they come in for me and uh so that they can perform and do their best 
And so the way this intersects with uh, being an IC, it really makes sense because that's what really that's really what we're doing as an IC. We're we're watching out for the actors, working with the filmmakers to make sure that they're telling their story as authentically as they can in a safe way, and we're taking that that responsibility off the actors so that they can sit back and do their best work and just do their work and not have to worry about all this other stuff that I'm going to worry about and I'm going to take care of. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And just one more follow up to that. And I am excited to hear Chantal, your experience. But I am wondering, uh, in casting and, and being on that side, what has the conversation changed? I, I would imagine you have more tools at your disposal now having the title of IC. And so I'm wondering what the conversation has evolved to in your experience. Uh, well, it has evolved a lot in the last contract, the 2020 contract that mm. SAG-AFTRA negotiated, because it, the prior contract had a very blurry and kind of, I would say, a very vague and unclear one or two paragraph clause regarding auditioning, where, where there's nudity or any kind of um, touch. And then, uh, and then in within that uh, also a very vague uh, explanation of uh, working on set. And so uh, the intimacy coordinators perform, um, uh, put together a committee, worked with SAG-AFTRA and gave them our input on this latest contract. So we were able to do some amazing things for actors in this contract wherein uh, they didn't exist before, such as when an actor comes into audition People, you know, as a casting director, I was reaching out to my colleagues saying, are you guys having naked auditions? Because I'm hearing that. And some people are saying, yeah, my director wants to see them topless and see what their breasts look like. And so I'll have them do it in their slate. And I'm like, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, look at the clause. And the clause was so vague, it wasn't spelled out. And so the new clause says that you cannot be naked in an audition. You have to wear at least what a swimsuit would be for those that identify as female and a speedo for those that identify as male. And you can only, we can only ask the actor to do that one time on the final callback and we have to give them 48 hours of written notice. Now that's changed a lot. Wow. From what mm -hmm. it used to be. Right. And so we've really gotten into the area of auditioning, which is, which is where I work. Right. And uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do now going forward, knowing being a casting director and being an IC is I want our casting people to ex use the same descriptors when they're from the breakdown through the whole process. Because the breakdown is where we first start talking about this. Mm -hmm. And if we're all using the same language from the breakdown to the meeting, to the negotiation for the contract, to when they get on set, then by the time the actor gets on set, they'll know what they've agreed to. Because you would not believe how many actors get on set. and and we're, we're, we're meant to kind of supervise the, uh, the nudity writer and the actor can come to us to help explain it. And they're like, what? I didn't know that that meant that. I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so if we were talking about this the very beginning before they even auditioned, uh, they would be uh, better educated. And so I've worked with yeah. the Catholic Society of America to make sure that we're all on the same page. And, I, and the breakdowns that I see now all look very good. They, they look like they're specific and, you know, there may be simulated sex, there may be nudity. And then when the actor comes in, they can discuss the specifics of that 
uh, with the directors so that they know what they're getting into. Because I don't want anybody to be blindsided. As a casting director, I certainly don't want to hire somebody that uh, is iffy about doing it. Sure. Uh, one of the things that, that Chantal and I both were trained is about consent. That's the cornerstone of our, of our work. But not mm -hmm. just consent, but enthusiastic consent. Mm -hmm. So that if an actor, if I said, do you want to do X, Y, and Z? And the actor says, um, well, okay, yeah, I mean, okay. Okay. I, yeah. That's, I don't believe you. And I'm just, Let, let's go deeper on that. You yeah. Know? Let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's expand. Let's, you talk a lot about the power yeah. of no, right, Chantal? Yeah, I think with that, with what you're talking about, those breakdowns, we're talking about transparency and clarity. You know, when there's transparency, then you can have questions. And when there's questions, there can be answers. And when there's answers, there can be consent and information and there's communication and then there's collaboration. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's when people can have fun, you know, because people are all on the same page. So I love what you're doing in that community, Marcy. And you know, I just, I have such a, an admiration for all my intimacy coordinator cohorts. There's like so many of us and we all bring something really, you know, um, cohesive when it comes to our, you know, our ideals and everything, but we also bring different experience to the table and her experience as a casting director is invaluable. So um, my, my experience comes from a different part of the industry. And if you want, I can explain yes, yes. how I came to, to this table. Yes, I would love to. Um, so, uh, I came from Toronto, so I'm Canadian and American and I came, uh, after 9-11. So interestingly enough, I was like, gotta follow my dreams, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, uh, I'd had an experience of working with a director that was, uh, wholly inappropriate and it shied me away from, um, doing film and television, you know, because after that I kept having, these anxiety attacks every time I had a casting, like full sweats and nausea, and it was awful. And so I said, why am I doing this when I'm booking like 10 commercials last month and I, I'm fully, I'm full of conflicts. I can't even do any more commercials for the rest of the year. Like, why am explain I doing this to myself? Explain what conflicts Oh, conflicts. Yeah, thank you. Uh, about working. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, 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 not full like... conflicts. <laughs> Yeah. No, um, if you do a Ford commercial, you can't then go and do a Buick commercial. So there's a conflict there. So you can only do one of these major things. So I would do like one uh, tech thing, one mobile phone thing, one car thing. And so uh, one alcohol. And then you do all of the things and then you're, you tap out for your 21 months of your contract and then you move on and then you keep going. And whenever one drops out, you start casting for that that conflict again you know you get to go in for those so I was that busy doing commercials and I was like why am I forcing myself to try and get comfortable with something that clearly because of what happened I don't feel comfortable doing anymore so it was sad to have to like move away from something I feel so passionate about I love film and I love television and I and I love the work you know the work is just a really big passion of mine since I was a kid so um, so, but I focused on what I was successful at. I eventually became a mother and, and, uh, and, and worked even more. So for all of those concerns that concerned that, you know, you become a mother and you can't sure. work anymore. I was working so much and even more. And then, uh, the Me Too movement happened and I came forward, uh, in the LA times about that director that I'd worked with. And uh, within 48 hours of that article coming out, 
400 women had come forward about the same man. Wow. And wow. Four I stopped oh counting. Yeah. In Canada that this happened or, or it in- happened in Canada and in Boston. Um, and it was a sexual harassment, uh, you know, experience. And uh, there were far more egregious experiences, you know, had by the people who just auditioned for the part I got. Um, they told me oh at the time, um, you know, uh, not SAG-AFTRA uh, told me at the time, you know, Seven, we have 72 written complaints about this individual during the audition process. Um, so just be happy you booked the job. <laughs> what? Oh my God, that's infuriating. <laughs> it was a faceless person in a, you know, union office in Canada. And so I, none of whom are still there today. Sure. But um, it was a... It was an awful moment where I felt as though, so when I was speaking to this reporter, which was not my idea, um, when I was speaking to this reporter, it occurred to me that um, that I should also be having a conversation with the union here because I'd been interested and, and engaged in uh, union conversations when it comes to contracts for commercials. Uh, you know, for some time. But given I was having this conversation about safety, I thought, you know, I'm just going to call SAG-AFTRA and find out what their interests are on expanding on their safety protocols. So before the article came out, I said, listen, there's this article coming out in the LA Times. It's not a gotcha moment. It's, it's really just a shared experience that, you know, us and 38 other women were, you know, um, sharing with the LA Times reporter. Um, And they uh, they opened me, Gabrielle Carteris and David White, they opened arms, like, come in, let's talk about this, you know? And I was like, really, I don't know what the article's gonna bring, but I just, I want you to think of this as an opportunity for us to, like, open up, you know? Like, there had been two other huge predators that had been, um, like, addressed in the media, and I was just like, let's just talk about this globally, and let's talk about the solution, because that was... that's always what's been important to me not so much like you know I mean I wanted people to to be aware so for safety again but not like I wasn't like driven by like anger and I wanted him to go to jail or anything like that I was just like how can we do better as an industry and how can we support each other in ways that right now I feel like was you know less than you know back then in 2017 and then the article came out and then all those uh, individuals, you know, contacted me because I was named in the article. And with that, it became clear to me that I was receiving really important data, you know, like quantifiable evidence of where our performers are the most vulnerable. And that's just auditioning for this one person or working with this one person. But in those 400 people, it really informed um you know, our, our clarity on no more auditions in hotel rooms, because that's where he struck so many times. And so did Harvey Weinstein. And so we were thinking, let's just stop that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I can't tell you how many hotel rooms I've used for auditioning. Yeah. And you just never attacked anyone. Imagine that. (laughs) When I fly, I mean, I work out of Los Angeles, but when I would fly into New York, we would rent a suite uh, all the all the auditions would happen in like the living room or the suite, certainly not in the bedroom. It's all in the up and up. I mean, I've been doing this 
four years. This yeah. is how I know. And because people go in for you and they go in for like a multitude of people in these suites like experiences and they're like they're like offices really there's yeah. no bed the bed's in another room and you don't even you know it just doesn't seem dangerous yeah, but that's where people wrong. were being attacked you know sure. and and right. as soon as they are attacked they're gaslit into saying well you came up to the hotel room what did you think would happen right. and that's what the media would say and that's what everyone would say the police when they'd make their reports and so really there was just a common denominator there and those common denominators became clearer and clearer. And it wasn't just uh, survivors of, of that particular predator. Um, I've since taken the disclosure of over 1400 survivors. And what happens is I, you know, people find me on Twitter and through my union work or, you know, and they just, um, you know, anything, you know, anywhere, they, they just find me. And then through friends, they like, oh, you know, I know someone who could hear you out on that. And so I am not a mental health professional. But what I have done is taken the time to meet uh, sometime at the beginning, it was eight people a day, which is a disclosure takes about an hour. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it can take five hours, depending on the triggers and the trauma. Um, and then after they're done, uh, essentially, my role was to be a listener and to provide resources. Mm -hmm. And the resources ran the gamut of people who could support them in their future steps if they wanted any, you know? So um, I was just sort of, um, you know, um, a sponge for all of their experiences. And then after all of that information, it became, you know, clear to SAG-AFTRA that we could really, you know, expand on, on certain protocols to you know, get into the game of prevention, you know, and it was in that capacity that I started interviewing certain uh, intimacy coordinators. And certain people were like, yeah, I used to do, you know, uncertified intimacy coordinators would be like, yeah, I had um, some sex scenes, and they didn't, they weren't comfortable. And so now I'm doing this. And, um, and I like help people feel comfortable. And I was like, okay, you know, that's great. I mean, I don't know. I, I okay. I, I just didn't see, like, it felt like a buddy, like bring your buddy to set day, you know? And I was like, I, don't, I just don't feel like that's going to work because predators can attack two people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't seem like comprehensive enough. Mm -hmm. And then I had a casual conversation with the same uh, individual that Marcy was talking about, Amanda Blumenthal, and her understanding of and her like description of the position was so comprehensive and it was so inclusive and it was so like well-rounded and her syllabus was so like well thought out. I thought that's what this is. Okay. And so I said, you know, this interview was not about me. You know, it was about SAG-AFTRA members and how you protect them. But I can't help but say that this conversation has shifted, you know, for me. And I really want to in on this, you know, um, this program that you're doing. And she was like, I'm in the middle of one. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and so she's like, you can apply in six months. And I was like, all right. So I told everyone in six months, I'm applying to the intimacy coordinator. I just put it out there in the universe. And then I applied. And I got in and I was just so happy. I mean, I cried. I cried like I've cried for some of my biggest roles. And, you know, when I had my son, like I just to know it's a calling, you know, like you really feel like I've fall, like I've fallen onto my path. And it took years, like since 2017, I've just been working 
on this, I never worked again in commercials um, after coming forward. Not one booking. <laughs> I keep auditioning. Nothing. And so yeah. I had to really uh, lean in on, on this idea that something is happening. The universe is telling me I need to go in this direction. And, right. you know, it doesn't matter really um, what was the precipice, you know, or what, what, what was the reason why I, I have to just kind of follow these um, paint by numbers. And so uh, I, you know, graduated uh, last year and immediately on the day I graduated, I got my first film with Lena Dunham and that was amazing. And then I've just been on several TV shows back to back. So it just, it just feels really wonderful. Like Marcy was saying, performers understanding the value and their own value and, you know, productions recognizing Mm -hmm. the importance of performers and what they go through. They're really having an eye-opening experience with us as well, where we're just all of a sudden understanding each other. Sure. And so that's that's how I came to be. I love that. Thank you for sharing all of that. Both both of you, what unique journeys to get to this point to to be so passionate and to be such a wonderful facilitator for not only these conversations but for safety and consent. Uh, my favorite word, <laughs> quite honestly. I am curious about these disclosures. What 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 do you do with them or what maybe I missed it but what where do they go or how how do you utilize them for or are they just witness accounts yeah I so people coming forward I say people because there were a lot of you know all genders um different experiences different age groups sometimes it was like people in their 60s telling me what happened to them when they were 15 and some people were you know, 25 telling me what was happening like right now. And, and so everybody was coming from a different place. I was taking notes. Um, when I get the disclosure, I take notes so that I can, I'm, I'm very visual. So I take notes so that I'm a better listener. Mm -hmm. And afterwards I, you know, I share with them, I empathize with them and I like, you know, I reflect back to them their their experience um as i understood it and and i remind them that this is something that happened to them that they were not Mm. a party to and that this is not their fault and in so many cases that it's the first time someone's ever said that to them and in most cases this is the first time they've ever spoken about it and so i just thought it was a really important uh service to provide you know um curious what did you do with all that data though collecting data for sag after or or what did you do with this data yeah It, it was like it it became clear to me that it was data but like at the time i was only taking notes for the conversation after each conversation i um i destroyed the notes um, because oh, okay. that's someone's private experience, right. you know, and so I, I really didn't do that, but I did write, um, you know, where it happened and what were the circumstances around it, you know, not like, you know, and so it, it informed me what our age groups are, where the, like, mm-hmm. where the most vulnerable in the age groups, what, you know, um, you know, and it really painted a picture because a lot of reoccurring predators kept coming up in conversations, the same names. And so I realized it's not in Hollywood that there's a bunch of predators, which I mean, there are, but um, it's not that there's a bajillion of them. It's that there's really big repeat offenders and there's like um, a group of 
you know, people who are like-minded and they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And so an actor will go into one predator's office and have that experience. And then three months later, they'll be called into another office and it happens to them again. And they go, how, like, what's wrong with me that this keeps happening to me, but they talk to each other and they're like, well, I got this far with this one, you know, and they, they literally talk to each other like that. And I, they parlay this information. That's correct. What Weinstein was doing was telling these women, well, so-and-so let me do that, do it to her. And that too. It's right now. And so it was just this, this, um, bullshit information they're they're using as a token and using Mm -hmm. it against you they're weaponizing it quite honestly yeah Uh, yeah one thing i do want to say and not to negate all of the predators that there are in hollywood but you know people often talk about the casting couch and i want to say that this is not exclusive to hollywood that this this harassment sexual harassment exists Mm -hmm. in every corporation every office across the globe and it happens i would say in equal numbers in all of these businesses and so yes it happens in hollywood and that happens to be in the limelight right now but it this is not exclusive just to hollywood absolutely every workplace across the globe well and what i think is so powerful about storytelling and particularly the media and hollywood is that we do get to be an example and a reflection of how can we deal with this in a way where we create safe environments for people to you know be able to feel safe and to have allies at their disposal and to have this uh clear language so that everybody is on the same page and and hopefully that but what we do have also in Hollywood, which is good, is that we have the power to amplify this information and get it out there more than any other um, business, quite honestly. That's right. Power and the abuse of it uh, got us to where we are and then where we were. And now uh, a a balancing of power and a redistribution of power and an observation of the issue as it was um, gave us the information we needed to create these new... um, safety protocols and pillars of safety in at SAG-AFTRA and not just SAG-AFTRA, but um, this is an interesting point is that um, uh, legislatively, we've been addressing this legislatively across the country, you know, um, creating, like I testified before the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee in 2018 to my experience um, and and I, I, I was looking to change, well, not just me, but <laughs> the Senator Hannah Beth Jackson, uh, she was looking to, uh, you know, update uh, the definition of employer because as it stood, uh, you know, a performer's employer is a payroll guy named Bob in a small office that you'll never meet in Chicago, you know, because they signed the check. But um, uh, we needed to expand that definition so that there was accountability and uh, legal ramifications for employers, people who could, and that's what we changed it to, people who can affect your career in a positive or negative way are considered to be your employer. So everyone is now held accountable uh, criminally. Wow. And um, yeah, across California. And we're looking to expand that legislation nationwide. But, you know, it's just important. And that's what SAG-AFTRA was, you know, when they heard my story, they were like, well, this is, this is something that we can utilize your voice to elevate this issue, you know, at the Senate, you know, and 
it passed unanimously. Um, And it was a it was a really empowering moment. And, and that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to support the performer uh, with the intimacy coordination, with the unions, with uh, legislation, we're looking to create a community of safety. Mm. You know what I mean? So I, as an intimacy coordinator, don't just have to go to set and tell people, this is what you do. This is what you do. I have the contract to lean on. I have legislation to lean on. And so I can just be like, well, you know, we'd love to do that, but SAG-AFTRA's contract explicitly prohibits that from happening. And then I don't have to always like do the heavy lifting, you know, and that's the thing. The performers were doing all the heavy lifting and you know, getting all of the, the awful uh, consequences of their opinions and, you know, when it came to expressing their consent and like Marcy and was saying before. And have to perform yeah. on top of that. And have to do the job, yeah. And be good. That's right. And yeah. be and, like, amazing, amazing in front of the camera. Right. right. Yeah. Awesome. And Marcy was talking about consent being, what was your word, enthusiastic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cornerstone. And, and, it's, yeah. and it has to be fluid, and it has to be reversible, and it has to be freely given, in you know? Moment. It, in the moment. <laughs> and it has to be informed, you know? Yeah. And so all of those things, in the absence of one of those things, the consent is not explicit, you know? And, and so, and performers need to know that SAG-AFTRA has put in their contract in no uncertain terms that you can change your mind. And so when a performer is armed with that information and with that power, there's an allyship that happens between them and production where they feel like they're a part of the process and they feel more creative and they feel like they're taking charge of their character and their character's actions because these are simulated actions, you know, Mm -hmm. nobody's, you know, having sex that's prohibited by SAG-AFTRA explicitly. Um, And we know when we talk about, these scenes to say simulated sex. You'll notice yeah, that's well, right. you'll notice us never saying the sex scene. We will say simulated right. sex because we are always trying to educate and teach people that they're not really having sex because mm-hmm. most a lot of people believe that they really are. Yeah. yeah. So that's I mean really movie fun. magic does it yeah, do, right? <laughs> look good, then yeah, it's gonna look like that. But there it's all smoke and mirrors and yeah. we're there to make it look great, but they're not actually having sex there's no genital to genital contact that's actually illegal that would be porn and uh we're there to help that uh, help that uh, stay safe but one thing you know you brought up earlier Chantal and this was in the in the contract before 2020 and most actors do not know this but let's say you've agreed to do a scene of a certain amount of nudity certain amount of simulated sex you have discussed it you have signed a contract you show up on the day and something goes sideways let's say you get triggered in some way or shape or form and you're not you weren't expecting it and you suddenly feel like i can't do this in the contract you have the right to change your mind even though you've signed you've agreed you've given consent and then the production can either uh, if we're there we can help come to a compromise to make the scene work so that you're comfortable or you can just say tap out and say i'm out and then the production has the right to use a double for you to only do only. what is specifically in your writer mm, your nudity writer right. your double can't come in and do something that you had never which they used to do agreed to exactly yeah. so um most actors don't know that they have that right. I didn't and, know that. And either. also, mm-hmm. who would speak up and do that? You'll never work again. 
Yeah, That's I mean, one hundred percent. The 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 idea of consequences is so scary, and so that does lead me in. I uh, man, I'm so thrilled with everything you're sharing thank you so much all of this is is fascinating and and so helpful and useful um to know and just so unbelievably interesting so i i I am just very grateful for both of your time and for sharing so vulnerably and openly and so i am curious about the the specifics of the training that you go through as an intimacy coordinator and then what it does specifically look like when you are doing your job uh from pre-production to post-production on set etc so like all of the things <laughs> yes <laughs> yes absolutely essentially. um uh do you want to talk about the training marcy and i can talk about what it looks like on it's set a lot. it's a lot you know a lot. I'll kind of roll off some things and yeah and some highlights you contribute mm-hmm. and add because your training was yeah. more recent than mine but uh first uh we trained for roughly six months. It was a uh, three to four hour meeting every week uh, for six months, plus additional workshops for choreography and movement and whatnot. Uh, and her, the reading list was very robust. Uh, we talked about nonviolent communication because so mm-hmm. much of our job is about is communicating with so many different people who are very powerful or in some that are very vulnerable. It's, you know, my skills as a casting director and producer, you know, really uh, come in perfectly here in this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the book was really interesting, just how to uh, negotiate uh, something that could be really sticky. Uh, And uh, we talked about how the, how a lot about trauma and how Mm -hmm. the brain works and actually takes in trauma because we are also trained in uh you know not that we're again not that we're psychologists although some of us are uh we're we're trained in trauma in case an actor does get triggered and have a bit of a meltdown because when we're on the set even though we've discussed everything uh we're sitting at the monitor watching the work and I'm trained to recognize that an actor is starting to melt down. Sure. Yeah, yeah trauma one informed, absolutely. For another. Yeah. And so yeah. um, nonverbal, you know, observations, absolutely. Right. And so uh, we will uh, stop things and take a pause, and I will then go in and help the actor uh, get their, uh, you know, get their uh, level back, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, the training took place for about six months. And we learned everything from, oh God, there's so much. Race, race component, you know, for like, you know, uh, how to recognize, you know, different experiences across genders and race, you Mm -hmm. know, and sexual identity and, um, you know, and just, there's just, there's just so many aspects to this work. Um, for the performers that make each experience so challenging for different reasons. And so it's important to have a really grounded understanding of the things that you need to be fluent in and proficient at recognizing and discussing. And then uh, to also realize where you need to um, keep learning. You know, I'm always learning about, um, you know, the the different ways that that um, race comes into question on sets with power dynamics and um, value um, and 
you know, and trauma and all of these things. And so like when it comes to aggressions and language, I would imagine are a big absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the way crew and performers interact. Um, and we understand now that when people are uncomfortable with certain things, sometimes we mask our uncomfortable behavior with humor. And it is always a bad idea. Um, because you have performers who are in the most vulnerable state and you have then people trying to make them comfortable by teasing or laughing, you know, at kind of trying to get them to laugh with, and that's not happening. And then there's this terrible kind of snowball effect. So there's just these things that we can prevent by having these engaging dynamic conversations beforehand with the crew. I like to have a safety meeting and I'm talking like, 30 seconds, one minute tops where I thank everyone for being like part of this closed set today. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's because you left, because you are not needed. I thank you for recognizing that I help, you know, I am here for any questions you have about the scene. Um, And I'm going to look for this person for the flags. And I'm going to look forward to working with you for the getting the performers. And so I like to introduce myself at the beginning of the day. And so just that thing, because most people show up to set like productions uh, and uh, like the crew and the production and the performers, they all show up and go, what are we getting ourselves into? Producers are like, is this going to cost me a bajillion dollars because we can't get it done today? Like, are the performers going to be able to do this? Like, everyone is always like worried. And so when we show up with our understanding of how things are going to happen in the best case scenario, people are relieved and on board and on the same page. And so, and you know, an informed people is a empowered people, you know, and so. Yeah, I'm curious about this training. And so do you know where it came from and who who like facilitated putting this all together? Because it does sound like it has a lot of different components of like anti-racist training and uh, intimacy as well as consent-based training, psychological practices, along with all of this reading. And so I'm wondering, uh, this seems like relatively comprehensive and from so many different voices and point of views. And so do you know where it it all came from or in your experience were there lots of different speakers and people who were coming in to facilitate and educate well at this point in time the uh the training facilities are um intimacy professionals association which is the where we trained with amanda blumenthal and she started building the syllabus based on her experience Mm. she worked on euphoria and the affair and uh you know and so several several shows and she was you know really busy doing these really um content heavy sex positive shows that had so much you know information for her it made her go in this direction to learn more about this and it made her go in this direction and she was also I mean I don't want to speak to her experiences and her education because I don't want to miss appropriate something you know that she's done but you know she went to work at HBO uh, on Euphoria and just learned a ton and with that she started creating her syllabus and along with her own formal education uh, she compiled this this syllabus and it you know and it continues to grow like Marcy said mine was just a, different than hers you know because she 
keeps growing the mm -hmm. syllabus with with every experience that I share with her and that Marcy shares with her that we're having on set, you know, the information changes. And I think that's what makes her syllabus so powerful is that it is um, it's comprehensive. It has it's very inclusive and diverse from, uh, you know, just very um you know, she absorbs things from different sources. And, you know, with that, she's a really great leader in this field. So, um, and then on so, the East Coast, we have Alicia Rodis, who hmm. started an organization. She was actually, I would say, the first yeah. coordinator. Uh, her organization is, is called IDC, Intimacy Directors and Coordinators. Mm -hmm. And uh, she came in to do the Deuce, which is probably the first official intimacy coordinator job. And uh, one of the actresses, they were going into their second season, and one of the actresses um, on The Deuce takes place in the world of, of uh, uh, working women in the sex, sex business. Um, and they were going into their second season, and this actress, Emily Mead, one of the series regulars, said, we need to talk. I need to talk to the HBO execs. All of us need to talk because we don't feel safe. We don't feel like coming back next season. Oh, wow. because they would have all these guest stars and co-stars coming in every week in these extremely sensitive scenes and no one was watching out for them. And so they basically described what they wanted. We need an ally on set. We need someone mm. to, that we can go to. We need someone to help us with movement, uh, with the barriers. Cause that's another thing we haven't even discussed yet is uh, we provide the modesty garments and sometimes barriers on top of that that we build so that oh, wow. uh, people feel comfortable and, and don't feel exposed. And uh, so they described, she described what they were looking for and found Alicia who had come from a stunt background as well as I believe theater directing in terms of uh, intimacy. It's, it's called- I an think intimacy. that's correct, yeah. Theater. So she came in and kind of carved out this job. Wow. On yeah. the and cool. then uh, the Me Too movement happened in 2017. All of these things coalesced around the same time. And HBO loved her work so much, mm. as did the show, that they made it mandatory on all of their shows that have this material that they must hire an IC. So that's a big wow. and bold move. And there are many other um, networks right now and studios that have followed. They haven't made it official that they're, that they're saying that they do that. But Netflix, Amazon, sure. Amazon. Uh, uh, Hulu, Hulu, Apple Plus, I mean, every Peacock. single, mm -hmm. uh, and ABC, NBC, uh, you know, all the networks are all now educated. When I, when I finished training, I went around with, with Amanda to all of the networks and studios and had meetings with their head of physical production and anybody I can get in this meeting, head of casting, uh, to educate them on what this new job was because okay. we wanted them to know, like from this point on, you need us on set because we're a new line item in the budget. Right. That, this money is, is not coming out of somebody else's salary. This is a new job completely. You know, there hasn't it's been- It's a head of a department. Yeah, yeah, it's a department head. And we haven't had that in a very long time. So right. we wanted to educate them on what this was so that they could jump on board and, and understand us because there is a lot of mis- miscommunication and misunderstanding out there some people refer to us as the sex police or that right or that we are hr which <laughs> right it's not at all what we do and yeah. so you know chantal's coming to the set and explaining to people you know even at 30 seconds what we do to educate we're here not just for the actors we're also here for the crew i have crew members sure. coming up to me all the time 
um, asking all sorts of questions. People are so interested in what we do, but also yeah. you know, asking all sorts of questions about pronouns and what, what I should do and what I should use. And you know, we're there to mitigate situations where I had a costumer that refused to call this trans woman a woman. Not, you know, not pretty, not respectful. And that, you can't do that on a set. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they could get sued for sexual harassment. 100%. I don't mind being a police in that instance. Yeah, but yeah. So I like to educate and share. Yeah. yeah. I, I like, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I like to think that, you know, when I do my job, um, and in the in the presence of an intimacy coordinator, there are these very clear parameters of expectation from production and from performers. Everyone's expressed themselves in the prep phase, you know, because you were wondering what that sort of looks like. But we yeah. prep, we talk to production about their uh, their vision. You know, what is their full vision? I want to know everything you wish for if you could get everything exactly how it was written, how you envision it. And then I take that information and I share it in a safe individual space with the one-on-one with a performer. And if there's several performers, I do several one-on-one, you know, conversations. Those are called intimacy meetings. And I have those comprehensive conversations where it's a safe space and it's a confidential space and people can express their initial reaction to everything that's being shared all their concerns all their fears and all their excitedness and answer all their questions because I've asked a million of them in the production meeting and now I'm there with all of the answers and if I don't I can fill in the blanks but oftentimes I've asked even more than what they were even looking to so I have that covered and then after that I go back to production and counsel you know for their nudity writers and I discuss you know, where they, you know, where they stand with the performer. They're completely on board. They're excited. So now the field exists. There are boundaries, there are parameters, and there's expectation that exists, you know, and then within that there's freedom, you know, and that's where they get creative. And so if everything has been done in the prep phase, in theory, you know, with the exception of hiccups and changes and feelings and what have you, um, everything happens within that. And I'm just there to support that. So it's like a very creative position in that space. Like when I get to set, it feels very creative. It's not at all checking with binoculars to see that everyone has done their, you know what I mean? There's a checklist of things I'm doing, but they're in the capacity of like my team, right? I see people and I'm like you know we're we're gonna be putting our phones away in like 10 minutes so make that call check that text return that email like this is the time you know I like to do that I like to give people the opportunity to know when it's gonna happen and maybe that's because I'm mom I'm like I tell my son in 10 minutes you're gonna put your shoes on you know I like to do that <laughs> prepare I, for it yeah and I'm I am not curious, saying that yeah. there is no hiccup but I am saying you, you, there was some understanding of what was gonna happen next and I think that really empowers people for a good outcome sure because we're just, there to ensure that it is a close set by sag after a definition and right. so that means only essential personnel Mm-hmm. And we, we with, with the first AD or the second AD, we'll go around and make sure that all the monitors on the set, because um, there are many, are flagged and tented and that no one's watching that can't be watching and there's no errant uh, phones or cameras uh, recording this. And uh, the job is so <laughs> dynamic and widespread in terms of all the things that we're watching for. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we also, uh, once we find out what exactly what the scene is, we then interface with uh, hair, makeup, and wardrobe because sometimes we need to uh, build a prosthetic or a mm -hmm. mark. And uh, so we oversee all of that. Uh, it's yeah, I'd love, can we go back really quick? Because um, I want to get onto that part of it as well. And I'm curious about specifics of how specific in these boundary conversations do you get? How specific are the nudity writers? What does yeah. that actually look like? Because I love the emphasis on language previously of even in the breakdown of getting clear uh, with casting, right? And being very transparent. And so taking that into production once a performer has booked the job, or I imagine if they're on a series, right? And this episode, so calls for something, starting that dialogue, what, how specific do you get and what, what does that look like facilitating that kind of conversation? Extremely. Well, you want to, um, for the actors that are listening, you want to make sure that your representation negotiates your contract with the nudity writer in a very, very specific way. Mm -hmm. uh, some some uh, agents and attorneys are, are really savvy in this and some are not, but it could be something as specific of, um, I'll show side boob only up to here, no nipples, I'll show butt, but no butt crack, I'll, uh, you know, side thigh, or the camera can only be on this part of my body for three seconds. Mm -hmm. it's, it's that specific. It can be very specific, yeah. It's very, very specific, you know, no genitals or no no frontal nudity or, or just the opposite, you know, you can do anything. But so we'll have that basic contract for the series regulars they have a basic contract. And then each scene that we do within each episode has its own writer. Got to it. Okay. Specify exactly, exactly what we'll be seeing and what they'll be doing. And that writer in its initial form has to be provided at the 48 hour mark before the day of the shoot for that particular scene. And after that 48 hour mark, it can be edited to reduce the amount of nudity up until it can be signed on set. It's fine. But after that 48 hour mark, you cannot augment the amount of nudity uh, or simulated sex that you have uh you know, prescribed like and written out in the pages that you provided for the nudity writer. So you can't augment, but you can reduce. So for performers who are like, ah, like I haven't signed it. And it's like, it's the day before, but you know what's happening, you know, and you have the, you know, you can talk. I mean, I get phone calls, you know, the panic phone calls sure. <laughs> and they just want to make sure that and this is where my advocacy really comes in handy is they just need to be heard, you know, and before that conversation, when do you think that happened with their employer when they were having panic attacks and how is it talking about your private triggers, mm. your private, um, you know, comfort levels that keep fluctuating, which by the way, is completely normal. Um, sometimes they just need that conversation, you know, and I tell them, you can call me at three o'clock in the morning, you can call me at six o'clock in the morning, but when I get your message in the morning, I will return it. And sometimes they just feel good about, you know, dumping that fear on my voicemail sure. and getting my call in the morning to comfort them and remind them, you know, uh, what things are going to look like and da, da 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 because when you're being, everybody has a different experience in their lives coming to that set and, and they can just be triggered by something completely different. So something they felt comfortable with two weeks ago, all of a sudden they're freaking out. And it's just important to meet performers where they are at each moment that, that they yeah. want to discuss it. And so that's all part of our prep. And you on the day- really important though, the 48 hour uh, clause, which is new in the new contract. Yeah. Um, this 
is so big because it prevents anything Coercion. on the day. Right, like last minute. In the past mm-hmm. is actors will show up wrapped in a sheet or their bathrobe and they're just meeting each other for the first time and the director says okay go for it and drop that's it <laughs> that's basically what's been happening but now with all the prep that we do it can't be changed on the day and if they want to add something to it it sets the clock back 48 hours yeah. again so no again. production and would ever want to do that wants to do it <laughs> We got to shoot that scene. And yeah. so it, it discourages them trying to add something to it because yeah. it's what happens on the day. Like a producer will walk in and say, oh, no, no, no. I need to see her totally naked and I need to see them fucking. And, you know, they're, yeah. they're sometimes that press. And um, and the director, the actor might be a little taken aback and, and she like, I didn't, I didn't agree to that. And they'll say, well, you did it on your last movie. And that's oh, where right. consent comes in. Or you in. did it in the last episode if it's a different right. director for a new show. Right. That's where consent comes in because it doesn't follow you, like like what yeah. Chanel said before. It is absolutely Fluid. a moment. And we're there to just help that discussion occur. Mm-hmm. occur, occur? <laughs> what is it? Occur. occur. <laughs> yeah, you got <laughs> it. So occur. It feels weird in your mouth right now, but you got it. <laughs> um, so that it's not put on the actor to have to fight for their their legal rights with their employer who has the hiring and firing power i and i am wondering yeah uh sorry just to continue when you're on set what is the facilitation of the conversation then between the performers and and getting to do the actual scene once these boundaries have been identified once these nudity writers and contracts have been signed what does that look like facilitating that experience well I like to give my performers, and I don't know that all ICs do this, but um, you know, this is my practice to offer a code word. So if anything pops up for them, whether it's like something that pops off, you know, like a modesty garment, a sticker, or something's come loose, or you know, the action that we're doing is actually uncomfortable. Maybe they have an injury, a knee injury, and it's like not comfortable. There's a code word and it's not a dramatic thing. I give it to the director and to the performers. And when you hear that, um, when you hear that code word said, it means that uh, something uh, simulated sex related needs to be addressed. Okay. So it just means like, it's you know, we word. need, yeah, it's a safe word. Exactly. Right. That. And so, yeah. um, it can be, I've had it be because, um, a bathroom smells like a bathroom and it was tell it was taking them out of the scene. So that's not dramatic. Right. I just gave them really nice scented, uh, hand cream and then it just smelled completely different and they were able to just get right back in the scene and, and get comfortable. But, um, it, it's just whatever it is that's taking you out. Trauma has really, um, strange, affectations for different people mm-hmm. their sense of smell can get really acute um sounds can get very grating uh dry mouth and so i have like mints and i have water on the standby and i have i have just things to address possible trigger like trauma triggers you know and and sometimes it's like dramatic like you know someone went past what we had agreed on you know so that the gamut of the safe word and and its importance is varied and and extensive but um i like to tell everyone like use it don't worry 
you know, the director is okay with it. You know, after he says cut, just say code word, you know, like, and, and it's always something cute. So nobody can get mad at something cute being yelled out from stage, you know, so. Um, well, on so, the yeah. day, what we do is uh, we have a private rehearsal. That's what I mean. Uh, okay, ahead cool. Of, ahead of time. I mean, as, as we're, you know, in on the set. Sometimes we get lucky and we get to do it ahead of time. That's rare, but usually the rehearsal is on the day as we're about to set up the lighting. So we will very quickly, um, hopefully we've talked about it a little bit beforehand. Um, sometimes the directors know exactly what they wanna do choreography wise to the point that they have storyboards or we've mm -hmm. talked about the movement or they treat it like hot potato and they're too scared and they, don't, they want nothing to do with it. And then like, here, you do it. So depending, you know, we're there and trained if the director needs us to help them with the movement and camera angles. So we work that out privately so that everyone is comfortable. And then we call in, we have another private uh, marking rehearsal where all the heads of the departments uh, that are on the closed set list come in and they can watch the movements. So do the body doubles. Yeah, and they're fully dressed. So I just mm -hmm. wanted to say that. So during this rehearsal process, they're fully like just in their cozy clothes, you know, yeah, so. Uh, no real kissing. Uh, yeah. Their body, I mean, their stand-ins come in because this, the lighting department are going to light to the stand-ins. So the stand-ins come in and watch this marking rehearsal because then the stand-ins do all, they kind of mime this movement again, fully clothed. Right. And actors step out, get uh, retouched, and then we're ready to rock. Got it. And but yeah. so, like when we get there in the morning, we're there. We help the actors sometimes get into their modesty wear, their modesty garments. We have to literally stick it on them. Uh, we I talk about it ahead of time and, and offer them different choices. We work with wardrobe to help. Sometimes we furnish them. Sometimes ward, ward, bleh, wardrobe furnishes these garments, and they're generally nude skin tone, uh, you know, like really soft. Uh, stick on your private parts, you know, depending on what you want to show and what you don't want to show. And sometimes these scenes take place in water and we've got to have uh, a, a adhesive that is waterproof and there's sweat. And sure. so, you know, we're, we're just in it. We're here for it. We're yeah, here for it. All of it. And, <laughs> and sometimes we help and sometimes we just instruct and I'm behind the door and I'm going, you, did you use the alcohol wipe? You good? You good? All right. Is it fit like I said it would? All right. Good. And then if it's not comfortable, we start back. Step one, you know, and, and that's just, and we also make sure, I, I always bring the um, nudity writer and discuss what it is they agreed to. So, you know, just to make sure they feel comfortable with the things that they have agreed to in case they agreed to it 48 hours before or in case their people signed their, you know, in some cases, people have entire teams in place, depending yeah. on star power. And so sometimes they really don't really know a lot of things. And so I just like on the day to just like refresh. In this scene coming up, this is what we're gonna do. I like to do it one bite at a time, you know, cause there were sure. some scenes uh, on something I worked on, there was eight closed sets in one day, you know, and it was several days in a row. And so I'm not yeah. going to tell you everything you're going to do today. You're just going to melt into a puddle of, of like <laughs> yeah, fear and anxiety. So I like to tell you what we're going to do next. And then I like to take a break, discuss what we're going to do next, and then let them go and change and do what have you. Got you know it. what I mean? So it's just yeah. like, and this is where this, this information from the certification program is so valuable. And, and I would say cr critical to the work, you know, because um, when I talk to people who are uncertified and just really want to do it, their passion 
puts them in the prime position to get certified. Like that's, that's what you need is the passion to keep people safe. And maybe your experience, you know, Mm -hmm. in the industry, positive or negative informed your wanting to be an intimacy coordinator. But until you have approached this position in this career type understanding and all around, yeah, unless you go to set with that, you, you, uh, you risk causing more harm than if you hadn't been there. And so this is, you know, um, something that we're addressing with SAG-AFTRA and with producers to try and really look for certified intimacy coordinators. And that doesn't mean someone who's gone through Amanda or Alicia's program, but either like complete programs like theirs or um, individual like training, you know, opportunities where they addressed trauma and they addressed this and they address that, you know, race and, and, and like it, mm-hmm. how, how can you be fully informed and get to set? Because you might be giving a PowerPoint presentation to a studio boardroom about the scenes and breaking down the script. I can't do that if I just came to be a buddy on set. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it really is important and I would say critical. So and we are in the process working with SAG after it to uh, have some sort of codification for the certification program right. so it. that there aren't these errant, these trainers out there that really have no idea what they're doing. Because they're, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that have kind of waved a wand over their head saying, yeah. I'm an intimacy coordinator. And sure. they're, they're out in the field working and they're also training. And that's where it gets <sighs> dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous too. Wait, and they're also undercutting the value of the position they're mm-hmm. coming in. And so I'll give a whole presentation of what it is I can offer to a, a big show, you know, and then the show will be like, that's amazing. And then they'll be like, oh, never mind. We got someone who's willing to do it for a third of your quote. And I'm like, a right. third? I'm like, yeah, but like, what are you getting? Like, and how much do you care about your performers? Because what we're offering is a really extensive yeah, yeah yeah and so like what are you paying for and I was like you know you can pay your tattoo artist a third of what they're worth but you're gonna have a stick figure on your arm you know right <laughs> sure. there till you're forever so I just feel like you know we're we're addressing prevention yeah. and if we're serious about prevention we need to you know uh, lay the groundwork we're very similar cost-wise to um stunt performers or sorry stunt coordinators um and that makes sense yeah it's just it was a yeah it was just similar with safety and all of that and what they do to prep and everything and so it seemed uh similar enough that that is sort of where we live in the ballpark of that so when someone undercuts that for a third I'm like would you do that for someone who's jumping off of a building and you needed someone to, to this is emotional harm needs to be held up to a standard of care, which is the employer's main responsibility is the duty of care that they have to keep their employees safe. And this is just another um, opportunity to show, you know, to to be accountable for the safety of your employees. I love that. Yeah. The idea of having a standard across the board makes so much sense. So I I hope that there is progress in in that way because the work you do is so valuable and the service you offer is incredible. Um, Yeah. So I have so many more questions, but we have have gone for Yeah, please. Here is um, uh, starting in August, uh, SAG-AFTRA and the Intimacy Coordinator Committee is putting together a registry of intimacy coordinators that qualify with a certain amount of days that they've worked 
Oh, cool. And so you will see in that registry who has uh, been working legitimate jobs, SAG after legitimate jobs. And there's also a preempt registry, which is, uh, which is ICs that have worked also a certain amount, but a little bit less. So if you're a producer out there looking for someone, there's going to be a registry of, of qualified professional certified ICs. And the training also. There's the training parameters are also going to be noted. And so whether you got them all in one place and got certified, your certificate has to be submitted for review at SAG-AFTRA to be added to the list. And if you didn't do a program, then if you did individual thing, then you can piecemeal it together and submit all of your, you know, training, you know, uh, certifications and piecemeal it together that way. So it just allows for people to come to the same qualified place with whatever journey, you know, brings them to that starting line. And we want that starting line to have a very valued and valuable you know, position because of its importance. Uh, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I'm so grateful for you both taking so much time. Again, this has been awesome. Where can people find you if they're interested in working with you or just getting more information, staying connected with you? What's the best way? Marcy? You're going to have something written along yes. with your podcast. Yeah, in the show. Uh, MarcyLeroffIC.com. Great. And that has mm-hmm. my contact information as well as explains uh, what the job is and what my experience has been thus far working in this community. Yeah, my representatives are uh, also available on IMDb. And so Amanda's listed on there. And so people can either call me directly. Agent, as it turns out. So yeah, woman, she, she became an agent. That's right. Yes, the woman <laughs> that trained us, Amanda Blumenthal, uh, franchised as an agent, uh, wow. a legal agent in Los Angeles. And so she represents us as well. That's so you right. can call her at Intimacy Professionals Association. That's right. And we just, and also a fun fact is that if Marcy's working the lead intimacy coordinator on a big show and it lasts 10 months and it's very extensive and, you know, and then there's a conflict, Marcy can call me and just uh, bring me on to, you know, cover for her. Mm. And so you might see that on IMDb where it says covering intimacy coordinator. And I think that's an important, you know, differentiation. See, now I can't think of that word. Yeah. Differentiation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I apparently right. didn't know the word at all. So, okay. The difference between the two. Have you ever yeah. done that in an email? Changed the way you wrote a sentence because you couldn't yeah, figure out what like, the word I was? Need a, I read I structure. Did, <laughs> yeah. I did my own spell check. So, uh, yeah. So we, we step in for one another and I think, and I think that's also really great for a set to just, you know, see that we all come from the same understanding of the position, but we all bring something really different. So it's just the a great community to be a part of as well. So, you know, being on the same page is very important because if you're going to step in Marcy's shoes or if Marcy's going to step into my set, um, I think it's really important that I know that her training is going to sustain my performers and the production mm-hmm. and everyone's going to be on the same page and comfortable. So that's that's the other great thing that that the community can offer. Amazing. Well, thank you once again. This has been so amazing. I appreciate you both. Yay! Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jerry. Oh, woohoo! Oh, that was, oh, that was juicy. Man, I could have talked to Chantal and Marcy for hours. Maybe I'll bring them back because they're just such a wealth of information and just, just pleasure. Just an absolute 
joy. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, look through the show notes if you'd like to reach out to them for further information, to book them on your set, etc. And as always, please follow the podcast. Uh, we're on social media at Finding My Own Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to both YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's so helpful. Uh, yeah, just for the numbers and for our future advertisers and just just for my own well-being. <laughs> oh, man. I promise I'm not losing my mind. Uh, and uh, please slide into those DMs uh, or my email, findingmyyum at gmail.com. I'm always so excited to hear your suggestions and referrals. Thank you to Jen Levin for suggesting and introducing me to these fine folks that were on today. I'm so grateful to Jen. She has actually suggested quite a few of my guests. So uh, you're such a treasure. Thank you for your constant support. I'm I am so yeah grateful to be connected with you and to know you and to have had you on the podcast as well. So yes, I take your suggestions really seriously and, and I love to bring on, on guests who uh, who you'd love to hear from. So slide into those DMs, send me an email. Uh, yeah, and stay yummy. I will see you soon. Woohoo!